This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. And we put in a bid and we won it for about $100,000. Um, yeah, $100,000 asset, uh, 16 units, including not just the lots, but the homes. So, you know, less than 10K a door for homes and land. Um, and so we win the auction and we look at each other and we're like, all right, I guess we're buying a mobile home park. Where are we going to get $100,000? You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business. What's going on, everyone? This is Jonathan Farber, your host of the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. I hope you're all well and healthy. For any first-time listeners, thanks for being here. The goal of this show is to explore ways to become financially free through real estate or to increase passive cash flow through real estate. A little background on myself. I work in corporate America at a software company. My side hustle is real estate. I currently own eight rental units and looking to add more this spring. I have house hacked, bird, flipped, and done short-term rentals to name a few strategies. My current focus is 20 to 30 unit apartment buildings in Ohio and Kentucky. I love to network and learn. So if you'd like to connect further, feel free to find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or BiggerPockets. All right, guys, today we have an awesome episode with Daniel Weisfield. Daniel is a mobile home park investor based out of Oakland, California. He graduated from Yale Business School in 2014. And after that, went into corporate America for a few years at McKinsey before jumping in with two feet into mobile home park investing and since then buying 30 parks in five states. Why do I bring up that specific part of his background? Um, because he has such a different perspective on real estate investing from a lot of, I'd say, investors that come in <clears throat> from grassroots roots investing style and start building from the ground up as opposed to coming at it with more of a business focus and jumping in in a huge way, starting out with big parks as his first purchase. And then from there, only scaling and building systems and a team and taking it from there. My main takeaway from this episode was how he evaluates what his skill set is and then how he realizes what he's good at doing and not good at doing and then who he adds to his team based on that. And from his perspective, he's a big picture thinker. He can come up with ideas and come up with a vision. And then the actual execution, the operational part of it doesn't really get him fired up as much. So if you're one of those people out there, like I would consider myself to be one of those people, it's really interesting to hear how he walks through his strategy and his thought process of building a team, figuring out how he can impact the business and how other people can impact the business and how it all works together. So it was really interesting to hear and I'll probably follow up with him just to go through some more of the like operational side of it and the system side of it because he's put it together in a way that he can really double down on his strengths. So really cool stuff there. Today's tangible tip is actually from a friend of mine, Chris Montez, really a cool guy, great, great friend of mine from high school. And he actually just purchased his first property this past year, House Hack, where he's cash flowing about a thousand plus dollars a month, which is really cool. Um, but his tip was uh, about working out. I told him, I love listening to podcasts whenever I can, but when I'm working out, um, sometimes I lose track of where I'm counting in like a set or just a number of whatever, and I kind of have to start over. And he made a really good point actually, that uh, you shouldn't even care how many sets or number you have to do as long as you know what workout or what 
exercises you're doing in that workout. He's like, just do it until it burns. Like you don't have to think about doing, did I do 10? Did I do 15? Like if you have an idea, like the workout should only really start like when it starts to burn or when you feel it. So it doesn't matter if you lose count and that kind of changed things for me. So now I could just go about my workout, listen to content and kind of just double up on stuff. Uh, plus I actually like to listen to stuff that takes my mind out of the workout. Cause I'm not one of those people that likes to work out. So if you're like me, I'm looking for an escape during it, not to like double down and enjoy it. I just don't enjoy it. So anyway, little tip for working out and for getting smarter, hopefully. But that was today's tangible tip. Thank you, Chris Montez. And without any further ado, seriously, uh, informative episode today with Daniel Weisfield. All right, Daniel, welcome to the podcast, man. Thank you so much for having me, Jonathan. Yeah, I'm excited. Dig into your story. I think you're the first mobile home park investor we've had on the show so far. And I think I first saw some of your content or one of your buildings or not buildings, rather one of your um, offerings on LinkedIn and then just dug into a little mm -hmm. bit. But a couple of friends of mine have gotten into mobile home investing and it just becomes something that's a growing topic on either investor groups that I'm part of or podcasts that I've listened to. So really excited to dig into your story and hear about how you got into it and what it is to you on a day-to-day -day basis. So I guess just kicking off from a background, how did you first get into real estate and uh, get exposed to all this? Well, I come from a family that immigrated to the U.S. Um, my family, my mom was born on a chicken farm in Israel. My grandfather was also born on a chicken farm in Israel. Came to the U.S. My grandfather worked as a car mechanic, a very hardworking entrepreneurial guy who didn't have a lot of advantages in life. Um, he literally was buying wrecked cars in the junkyard, fixing them in his backyard and selling them. And he saved that money. He eventually bought a garage. And then he, you know, where he operated a body shop and then he saved money from operating the garage and eventually he bought a mobile home park. And that was around 1980. Um, so my family's been in this space for about 40 years. Um, and as a kid, I'd go help my grandfather, you know, I'd help him in the body shop, fixing cars in the summers. And then we'd go over to his mobile home park and, you know, mow the lawn or paint the fence or whatever we had to do. Um, so that was my first kind of hands-on exposure to real estate and investing. And I saw how my family came to America with nothing and built, you know, a foothold here and built some wealth um, through long-term ownership of cash flow and real estate. Uh, so I always had that idea in my mind, but I didn't think I was going to be a, you know, a trailer park guy when I grew up. That wasn't my dream. <laughs> I had other dreams. Uh, so I went to college. I worked as a U.S. diplomat, actually. I got a law degree. I got an MBA. I worked at um, doing management consulting at McKinsey and Company. So I did kind of a lot of other things and it was back in 2016 that I was working in this corporate job, knew I wanted to leave. I wanted to do something more entrepreneurial. I saw kind of the massive need for affordable housing as a social issue. And I also saw the power of real estate to build long-term wealth. Um, and kind of looking at those two things, I figured out what did I want to do in real estate? And I had this family background in mobile home parks and I knew I could get a running start. And that's how I started Three Pillar Communities. Uh, back in 2017. Okay, that's awesome. There's a lot there that I'd love to peel back. But from a just table setting standpoint, what is a mobile home or a mobile home park? Great question. Um, so when I talk about mobile home parks, I do not mean uh, a vehicle that you can put in a key and turn it on and drive it around then that's called an RV or a recreational vehicle. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about here is 
homes that are built in a factory. Um, they're typically, you know, two to four bedrooms and one or two bathrooms. They've got, you know, a full-size kitchen. They've got a living room. It's a, it's a home that's built in a factory. It's trucked to a site and it's installed on a semi-permanent basis. And the business model um, is when there's a mobile home park, the tenants own their own manufactured homes. Uh, and then they pay us lot rent every month because we own the land and the underlying infrastructure. So when we're buying a mobile home park, we're buying, let's say, you know, a hundred units in Albany or we're buying a park in Albany, Oregon. Maybe it's, you know, four or five acres. There is, you know, a hundred lots. We own the land, the infrastructure, the roads. We manage the community. We create a great community for our residents to live in. They own their own homes and they pay us lot rent every month. Got it. For someone listening that's trying to understand the different types of investments of multifamily, retail, mm -hmm. office, mobile home, yeah. what would you say stands out as some of the differences in mobile home park investing or what, other than the, the exposure you had growing up, what else drew you to the asset class and made you go into this space instead of buying apartment buildings? Great question. So. I happen to believe that this is the best real estate investment that exists. <laughs> you know, I didn't only pick it because my family was doing it. There was this confluence of this is an incredible recession-proof asset class and I could kind of get a running start and that's why I picked it. So let me explain why I think mobile home parks are special. Um, first of all, it's housing, right? And people always need a place to live. So if you look at how different real estate asset classes are performing during COVID, I'm really glad right now I'm not in retail. I'm really glad right now I'm not in hospitality. I'm really glad that I'm in housing because everyone needs a place to live. And then within the kind of the, the food group of housing, if I compare mobile home parks to conventional multifamily, like apartment buildings, the biggest way that they're different is that our tenants own their own homes. Like I said, the tenants own the homes, we own the land. That creates a really special relationship in mobile home parks um, where our tenants are really bought into the communities. They have skin in the game. They have equity that's invested in their home. And what that means is we have, tend to have really long-term tenants. Our typical tenancy is at least eight years across our parks. Um, our tenants think of themselves as homeowners. Um, they build strong community ties within the parks. Uh, have, there's a sense of pride, a sense of ownership, long duration of tenancies. And when there's economic disruptions, like what we've seen in the past few months, tenants continue to pay their rent because like I said, they have skin in the game, they have equity invested in the home. So we've been at 98 or 99% rent collections every month during COVID. Oper operationally, COVID has kind of been like a minor blip for us. Hmm. Um, in the 08, 09 recession, mobile home parks also, you know, stayed full with no concession on rents. So, from a revenue perspective, these are recession-proof asset classes. And then from a supply and demand perspective, what we're providing is affordable housing. In most of our markets, we're 40% cheaper than apartment rent. And if you look at the demographics in the U.S. today, there is um, rising, there is huge demand for affordable housing, and that's actually rising. If you look at kind of the, the, the demographic trends and where wealth is going. Um, and so, we meet a huge market need for affordable housing that's high quality. People own their own home. They, ha they have their own driveway. They have their own backyard. 
it's actually a really good form of housing that's in many ways better for a family than renting an apartment, and it's cheaper. So there, there's a massive demand for affordable housing and not enough supply, and that just creates a really favorable market dynamic. So interesting. Yeah, there, there's so many places to go with this. One being, I yeah. think a lot of people would-, would I, I, I also, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I also go on and on about how the debt in this space is so favorable, how there's depreciation benefits. I can go on and on. I'll, I'll leave it at that for now, and then you can decide where you want to dig in. We might need a part two just on mobile homes, which I'm serious about because okay. I think, well, the other thing is, uh, as I've heard on other podcasts and some other more notable people, like, like not notable, but just people that- are getting into the space that may have a, a platform like Brandon Turner is the first mm -hmm. one I think of. And the thing that he talks about with a lot of times is there's a fixed number of these parks left in the U S that they're not building more of them or most of them are owned by quote unquote mom and pops. And when people can come in and improve them operationally, they can increase the value, but also there there's just a finite amount of these. And by just the laws of supply and demand by, by, just following those rules, your property should be worth more and it should remain stable when you also factor in the stuff of affordable housing and less inventory and other categories. So is that something also that you think about that yeah. there is a little bit of a finite resource and a lot of these are being mismanaged? So there's kind of a yes, but. So it's true that there is a um, finite supply of mobile home parks and I'm not too worried about new supply coming online, right? So we are competitively insulated. That being said, um, I think it's a myth that it's impossible to build new parks. And I actually think we as an industry should be thinking about developing new parks because this is a really good form of housing. And I think uh, we're at a point where it's getting more and more expensive to buy existing parks. So if you think about that question about should you buy them or should you build them, I think there's actually going to be a good return on investment if, if you're able to figure out how to build them. Um, and there are a few players who are building new parks. It's not widespread, but it is happening kind of in specific locations. So, um, but all in all, yeah, most historically cities have not wanted new quote unquote trailer parks, right? Because they're stigmatized. Uh, and that has helped us from a supply and demand perspective. Um, on the second piece around, you know, buying mismanaged assets from mom and pop operators and having the chance to create a lot of operational upside. That's also kind of a, a yes, but okay. Like 20 years ago, this was a non-institutional asset class. It was my, my, my family who I described, we were the typical operator. My grandfather was a car mechanic. He ran a body shop. He bought a mobile home park. He managed it in his spare time. And that was like the typical profile 20 years ago. Um, I think over the past 20 years, the word has gotten out that this is a really good asset class. Um, you know, there are major REITs in the space now. There are major private equity players chasing these deals. So like, I think it would be a misconception to try and tell people that, hey, like it's, it's a wide open space. It's still the Wild West. You can buy these things from, from out of all operators and get crazy returns. It's actually a pretty competitive market to find good mobile home parks, which is why I spend so much time developing relationships to source deals because it's not easy. Totally. And I'm glad you, you said that because I think a lot of people may hear it once on a podcast or a YouTube video and think this is like open field when in fact you could yeah. dig into it and like any asset class, there's going to be players that have been doing it for a lot of years and new institutional money that's flowing in. Um, it, it seems to me though, like apartment buildings, 
for the last 10 years have really gotten hot. Like syndicators have popped up everywhere and it's become an asset class that's, I'd say, bumped to a lot of people's minds. And then I think the thing yeah. that like happened with, with anything is it, it became more competitive and people started thinking about, okay, what's, what are the next options? And it seemed to me like self-storage mm -hmm. and mobile homes then immediately started yeah. boosting up. I don't want to say as much, but like now in the same yeah. playing field that almost all my, not almost all, but many of my syndicator friends are now talking about self-storage or mobile homes. One of the two, if not both, but they started as apartment investors. And now I think they're seeing the asset class. So to that point, it definitely seems to be heating up at the retail level, like from a, from a, yeah. from a competition standpoint, but as a player mm -hmm. in the industry, I'm sure you've seen it very competitive for the last 20 years, you know, just because you're under, you're under the, the first layer and you're seeing what a lot of the players are doing. So I guess just one step back here, I'd love to hear about your first deal that you did or it might've been, I don't know if it was before you left your corporate job in 2016 or after, but I would just love to hear how it went, how you found it, how you financed it, what the business model was and just dig into it. You know, I'm glad you asked. I actually, I rarely talk about our first deal because it was, um, it was tiny. Right. And that's, and that's exactly why we did it. Like, um, so it's not really like a feather in our cap in terms of, you know, dollars earned, but it was crucial for us in terms of the experience we gained. Um, and so I was kind of in the process of leaving McKinsey. I hadn't, I was, knew I wanted to do real estate, but I hadn't quite settled on mobile home parks yet. And my business partner was in a similar uh, transition point where he was leaving his prior startup and he was looking at different real estate investments. And here's, here's, here's the true story. My partner's wife crashed her car and she needed a new car because it was totaled. And so he was looking at online at a police auction website, uh, looking to, you know, to find a, a, a decent car for cheap. And so he's like scrolling through this police auction website and he's seeing like a Honda Civic, a Toyota Camry, and then he sees a mobile home park, like among the cars. And he's like, why, why is there a car on this auction web? Uh, sorry, um, a mobile home park on this auction website. And it's in like, uh, Horsehead, New York, which is a city we had never heard of before out in like Western New York state. Um, so he like does some digging cause it's we're kind of fascinating. And turns out this is a park that was owned by a total slumlord. He had totally mismanaged it. He did not pay his property tax. He did not pay his water bill. He did not pay his IRS bill. And at a certain point, you know, um, the government came knocking and he, t he totally like mistreated his tenants, did not pave the roads, was just like a, the worst kind of a slumlord. Um, and so this thing had been like repoed and it was at auction. And we, my, we drove out the day before the auction, saw the thing, met the tenants, met two tenants in particular who really cared about the place and we thought could be great partners for us to turn the place around. Um, and we put in a bid and we won it for about $100,000. Yeah, $100,000 asset, uh, 16 units, including not just the lots, but the homes. So, you know, less than 10K a door for, for homes and land. Um, and so we win the auction and we look at each other and we're like, all right, I guess we're buying a mobile home park. Where are we going to get $100,000? Which to me now, I could like call one of my investors and get in like 10 seconds. But at that point, it's like $100,000 is big money. Where are we going to find $100,000? And we literally like 
figure out, okay, we're going to call our best friends we grew up with and family and other people and ask who has like $10,000 sitting in their checking account and wants to make an investment with us. We're going to bring in like 10 investors at $10,000 each to take a risk with us on this turnaround project. And we did it. We figured out like, how, how do you make an LLC? How do you buy a property? Like, how do you close escrow? We didn't know any of that stuff, right? We just learned it by doing a deal, which I think is the best way to learn. And we bought the property. Uh, we re- it never had a name before. It was just that trailer park on Lake Road. We wanted to bring dignity, right? We gave it a name. It's Brighton Court Mobile Home Park. And we empowered the resident manager to get, this, get out, like, the people who were doing drugs and bring other problems to the communities. We put on like a barbecue for the residents. We met with them. We built a playground for the kids. We rehabbed the homes. Um, like when we showed up for that barbecue, the residents, they gave us an ovation. Like literally, these are people who have like been just, yeah, neglected. The, the property had been neglected for so long. They were so happy. Like we had such a concrete impact on their lives just by paving, like paving the road, right? Paving the potholes, which had been like destroying their cars uh, and fixing the roof. So yeah, it feels really good that we did that for the residents. Uh, we still own it. Um, our goal on this property is actually to sell it to the residents so they can own it themselves. You know, we bought it for a hundred thousand. It's probably worth $400,000 now after what we've done with it. Like that money is not, you know, that profit would not be that material in our life, even when the way our business has scaled. Uh, we don't feel like we need to earn a huge profit on it. What we'd really feel good about is to, like for these residents to have a, a future where they own their property and they never have another slumlord owner. And so we're working with a nonprofit to try and help the residents buy the park and become the owners. That's so cool, man. Seriously, that's an amazing story. I can't think of anything that's like that that we've had with anyone talk about on the show, like let alone buying something that way, sourcing it that way securing the money and then basically giving it back to the, the tenants afterwards, like as, as an idea where instead of being a slumlord, you're more or less someone that turned it around and they, they like love you for it, which is amazing. And you actually improve the yeah. community instead of like, let me just suck these people dry. So that's really exactly. cool. One, one um, question you. on that. I know you said the value is probably now worth about 400,000. Are mobile home parks appraised the same way as let's say multifamily from the just basically NOI appraisal perspective instead of comps. Is it, is it appraised the same way or how is it appraised um, from the business side of it? Yeah. So typically an appraisal you use two methods. Uh, one is the income capitalization method, which is looking at NOI and the comparable cap rates. And the second method would be sales comps, which would be dollars per lot or dollars per pad. Uh, and then based on those two methods, uh, you kind of get to evaluation. But I would say the dominant method, the way that people in the business really think about it is, is based on cap rate. And then you kind of use sales comps to kind of check it as a gut check and see if, see if the cap rate feels right. Got it. Okay, awesome. Really cool stuff. So before we go to the back half of the show where we just go through some tangible questions, I just want to ask a couple of questions about maybe how a beginner listening to this can get started or if you think the way that you did it is a repeatable way. So I guess I'll just kick it off with, what advice would you have for a beginner today looking to get started or for yourself if you were to start over again, knowing what you know now and they're looking to get into mobile home park investing? So my advice is go do a deal. I really believe that. I believe the best way to learn is by doing a deal. And if you're like, 
sitting at your computer at your desk all the time in your job, like dreaming about how you want to go be a real estate entrepreneur and you dream for five years and you talk about it and you never do it, like you're cheating yourself. The, the only way to learn is to go do a deal and you'll either learn, yeah, I love this. I don't do more of it or, Hey, it's not for me, which is totally fine. It's not for everyone. And not everyone wants to get calls from tenants at two in the morning to, you know, unclog a toilet. And so if it's not for you, you can invest passively. You can invest in other asset classes. You can do other things. But if you're like dreaming about being a real estate entrepreneur, go do a deal and start small. I really believe start small, you know, do something where you can take some risk and, uh, you know, if you make the right moves and luck is on your side, you'll get real upside. And if it doesn't pan out as you planned, it won't kill you. Love it. Totally agree with that advice. And I think for most people, once they get past a certain point of learning, it's just about taking the first step. If you've been learning for a couple of yeah. years and you haven't taken action, that's your only next step. Or this is what I typically tell people, you're either ready or you need a mentor or you need a paid coach because you, you need mm -hmm. something to get you over, but you need to take action. So I guess just one more like step down that path to make it as tangible as possible for someone. If someone's literally, mm -hmm. let's say, listening to this and they say they want to start today, let's say they're a W2 earner, they're, they're interested yeah. in this asset class. Um, like what are their first couple steps to find their footing? Is it, is it like the traditional real estate space where you need to have relationships with brokers? Is there a, like a, like a Zillow or a LoopNet for mobile homes where you start out or would you say it needs to be off market? I guess just to get someone started today, what are the first couple steps mm -hmm. that you need to set down on to actually get going in this? Well, let me answer that with a caveat. And the first caveat is, I think the most important psychological step for someone to take to become an investor is to go do a deal. And that doesn't need to be the perfect deal. And it doesn't even need to be a deal in the target asset class. So if you've never owned a real estate deal before, and you want to go buy a single family rental or a duplex, you know, in your neighborhood and, you know, paint it yourself and like fix up the lawn and figure out how to rent it and deal with tenants and figure out how to get a bank loan. That is incredible experience. And it's, you know, 95%, 95, doing that is 95% of what you need in order to go buy a mobile home park or a multifamily building. To me, it's, it's the psychological transformation of becoming an entrepreneur and an investor and taking a risk to do a deal. That's the important thing. I don't care what you're buying. So I'll start with that. Now, like, let's say you've gone and you, you bought a single family home and you rehabbed it, you rented it out, it's going great, your cash flow, and you say, okay, now I'm ready, I wanna buy a mobile home park. Okay, so if you wanna buy a mobile home park, um, yeah, you can go on LoopNet. There's deals. You can go on, I think it's called the mobilehomeparkstore.com. There's Google mobile home park store. You'll see it. And the stuff you'll see on those sites, um, it's typically not the biggest and best deals, right? The biggest and best deals are going to the biggest and best buyers and they're not showing up on LoopNet and the mobile home park store. That's just a fact. However, if you're a first time investor, you don't need the biggest and the best deal you have the advantage of being small enough that you can pay, you know, you can buy that $400,000 park that's pretty small in kind of a, you know, a second or third tier market. And maybe there's some hair on it, but you're willing to put in the work to turn it around. It's your first deal. Right. So, it, and that's what actually trades at you know, much higher cap rates, you get much higher returns. than if you're buying a big premium deal, so there's actually in some ways an advantage to being a first time investor who has the kind of, the capacity to do the small stuff. Um, and so I think mobile park store and LoopNet are actually a good place to find your first deal. Okay. Awesome. Really tangible. I think anyone listening to this can go out and do that today. doesn't require any money. doesn't yeah. require too much time. Just 
start doing it and talk to the people and start learning and have that mindset. And if you've done a deal, then you, you understand the workings of an investment, how to close on something, how to work with brokers, how to walk a property, and you can transition that skill set. If not, still okay. It's just take, take the first step of doing a deal and you'll learn as you go. So really cool there. Uh, before we move to the show wind down, I realized we kind of just jumped right into some tactical stuff. Mind just catching us up mm -hmm. to speed on where the business has grown to today in four years, how many pads or doors and what markets you're in and just a, an overview of the business. Sure. Um, so we started in 2017. So we've been going for about three years. Um, at this point, we're a top 50 operator of mobile home parks in the U.S. Wow. Awesome. Uh, we operate 30 parks in five states. Uh, we have about 7,000 residents. Um, we have about 50 employees. Like we do all the property management in-house. I think it's really important to create, that's how we really create value for our residents and for our investors. Um, so that's kind of the scale where we're at. Our, we focus geographically on the Western US. So the five states where we're active is California, Oregon, Washington, Idaho, and Arizona. And we're also looking for mobile home park acquisitions in other Western states. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wow. That's awesome. That's amazing scale in such a short period. What do you, what do you credit that to as being able Thank to you. scale so quickly? A lot of it's luck. <laughs> I, I, I don't want, I want to take all, I don't want to take all the credit. I think that'd be very egotistical. Like we've had good luck. A lot of things have lined up for us. Um, I have an amazing partner and an amazing team. That's a huge part of it. And I actually think, you know, before we had a team, I've been able to hire amazing employees who are really bought in to this company. Uh, but before we ever had a team, it's just me and my partner. And that partnership, I think, has really enabled the growth. Like, we we trust each other deeply, and we have very complementary skills, which is another way of saying we see the world really differently. <laughs> like, I'm all about, like, growth and vision and strategy, and I always want to do the deals. And my partner, is he has, he has a degree in accounting. He's a CPA. He works in financial due diligence on Wall Street. Um, he's like a finance and ops guy and he's always seeing the risks and like say, here's why we shouldn't do the deal or here's what can go wrong. And you put those two things together. It's a very powerful combination. Um, and I think it's helped us grow, but make the right choices and, and do it at the right, do it at the right pace and create the right guardrails and the right operational processes to, to scale appropriately. So I, I that is, I attribute a lot to that partnership. That's awesome. Love. Well, first off, humility, which you clearly have, even though you guys are super successful and doing some awesome deals. But it's also really cool to hear the dynamic between you and your partner. Uh, don't know if you've read the book Traction, but it sounds like you're more the visionary mm -hmm. and he's more the operator. And having that yeah. shared skill set is like, there's someone that always thinks it could work. And then there's someone that always needs to put the governor on that person to say, here's why it can't work. But that dynamic can work really well because you need both forces in a business to grow, but also grow in a smart way. So it's really cool to hear that dynamic. Um, but yeah, so. Yeah, I, I, love what you, I love what you said. It's exactly right. I, I haven't read the book. The, the analogy I always make is like, I'm throwing gasoline on the fire and he's got a fire extinguisher. And like together we get the fire to the right side. Yeah, that's awesome. Seriously, it sounds like yeah. a really good combination. Uh, I said this before, but last question before we move to the wind down. Someone listening right sure. now, they're debating between multifamily and mobile homes. Why mobile homes over apartment buildings? Because our tenants are homeowners, so they don't move. Simple. Love it. You ready for the show wind down? Sure. Yeah. 
Okay, cool. A lot of guests come on, talk about the importance of surrounding yourself with the right people, being the average of your five. Is there anything you do actively to make sure you're networking or staying around the right five people that are pushing you to be your best? Wow. Well, I'm actually really fortunate. I have two people in my life who are super important to me. One is my wife, who is amazing. Her name's Atara. She's an architect, and she is, like, my best friend and thought partner and, mm. like, way, way better than me, and I don't deserve her. Um, and the second is my partner, who I mentioned. Like, he's one of the most ethical, principled people I know. And, like, I respect him so much the way he's built, built a life based on his values. Um, and he's actually a really good role model for me. That's awesome. Love it. Okay. That's, I, I haven't heard that answer yet, but... Um... Now your wife has to listen to this episode. So perfect. Um, <laughs> you know, the other, the, you know, I don't know if other people have like a broader answer about like, you know, self-improvement routines and what, whatnot. I don't do as much of that stuff as I'd like. I actually spend a lot more time just building the freaking business. Like instead of spending time, you know, on LinkedIn promoting myself or whatever, I'm like spending that time calling brokers and calling owners and improve, like creating real value in our assets. So I probably, I'm a little bit more tunnel vision I probably do a little bit less of the hour looking stuff. Um, you just got to think about where you're going to get the highest ROI on your time. Totally. Really good answer. No, not, nothing wrong with that at all. It's awesome. Um, speaking of ROI on time, next question is about time management, planning your weeks, planning your days, making sure you're working on the right activities. Do you have any system you follow or way that you organize your time to make sure you are working on highest impact tasks? Um, you know what, for better or for worse, I'm going to be humble here. Like, I'm not going to, I came on, I came on here expecting to talk about real estate and it's funny. And I'm seeing an interesting pivot towards like, you know, self-actualization, right? That's what, that's what you're focusing on here. And like, no, I don't have great systems. No, I'm not like a, you know, a, what is it? The five hour work week guy who's like figured out how to automate my whole life. No. Like I, I've got like a big long to-do list that feels really daunting. And like every day I'm trying to figure out like what I should tackle first. And like, I often feel like I'm juggling a hundred balls and my life's a little out of control, mm-hmm. but I have like a great team and great investors and great lenders and we're building a great business. I believe in the asset class, the business is really growing. And then the one form of actual real structure in my life is I observe the Jewish Sabbath. So from Friday night till Saturday night, like I'm out no work. And that is my like recharge time, like reconnect, reset. So that, that's my system. Awesome. Love it. A lot of first time answers on this show. Really good one. Like, but, but these, I mean, I'm Jewish too, so I can, I can totally understand that. And that's just, that's a really cool thing. I also feel like a part of that is it's like a guaranteed turnoff where you can't work and you know, you have a, a cutoff to be done and then be present with family, friends, whoever. And yeah, exactly. um, that, that's cool. Um, I, I just, I need to ask though. So like you just have a, is it a physical paper to-do list that you have all these things on or I just like operational, no, I'm, I'm curious yeah. because I think people listening yeah. to this, I want to know too. It's like, you have accomplished a lot in a short period and I, you know, just, just thinking about how you set it up is so interesting. Yeah. I mean, like, like we have different 
systems in place to do different things. Like it's not like we're running our business on the back of a napkin. <laughs> like, like we have like, we use like the rent manager software platform to like collect rent and do our investor portal. Like, you know, I use Google calendar for appointments. Like we, we use Asana actually for like task management within kind of the operational stuff in the business. Mm-hmm. But for me at the executive level and kind of the founder level, think about how I want to spend my time in a day. I've got like a running word doc. And it's like, and I'm like, get all these things on it. And like, I'm constantly like, okay, delete that, move things up. Oh, look down here. I mean, it is not best practice, but that's, it works for me. Cause like, I tend to be that visionary who wants to do a lot of things and structure is hard for me. I actually, I think when I'm best, when I'm able to pivot and move quickly. So I don't want to be locked in with too much structure. Really cool. Great answer. And it just observes self-awareness. So why fit in a box? That's not a good fit. Love that. Um, any specific ways you like to stay educated, podcasts, books, networking, or any people you like to follow um, or look to for like influential advice or anything like that? Um, I, so honestly, I'm like, like I said earlier, I don't listen to a ton of real estate podcasts or follow a lot of like real estate influencers. Like I'm trying to form kind of independent hypotheses about where the market is going. Right. And so I think the best thing for me would be like, go drive a bunch of mobile home parks in like second and third tier markets and understand like, am I seeing construction in these towns? Like, like are businesses open during COVID or are they closed? Like what's, what's the wealth level of residents? You can observe that by like looking at like the cars they drive. Like I'm trying to like pick up indicators that like, you know, are kind of more differentiated so I can form my own investment decisions. Um, so I'd kind of rather be out in the field seeing that stuff or like talking to owners or brokers to kind of drill down very specific in a specific market is this specific asset, like a good play or not a good play. Totally. Love that. It's so funny. It's so it's straight out of traction. Like what I was saying before, it's just like, you know, your skill set and you're doubling down on it. And why try to do the other stuff? That's not like clearly your, your relationships person and love being in the field and casting a big vision. And then other people help with filling in the tactical stuff and the operational stuff, but mm. in every company, a visionary is needed. So it just, it's just really cool to hear. Um, so I guess just with that, mm. what is, do you want to try to grow this to as big as possible? Do you want to be number one? Are you happy with kind of like a slow and steady growth path? What's, what's the goal of all this for you? So we have a pretty differentiated strategy. I don't think you'll have many other, you know, real estate investors come on your show and say this. Um, we want to buy and hold forever. That is different. I want to own these, I want to own these assets for the next 50 years or the next hundred years and like pass them on to my kids and grandkids. And that is a lot. All of my investors are aligned with that. We tell like we, our, our model has been syndication. Our typical check size is 50 K or hundred K. So we don't have a lot of like institutional money um, by design, right? Institutional money wants a five year hold or a 10 year hold and they can't wrap their head around a 50 year hold. It kind of breaks the model. And we tell our investors, like, we believe the best way to build wealth in real estate is to buy great assets and improve them and then hold them forever. And you can access, there are two ways to access liquidity in in real estate. You can sell or you can refi. And there is a super liquid market for refinancing. You can get great debt terms on on real assets. So if you own great assets and you believe in them and they're really hard to find, why would you sell when you can refi and hold them in perpetuity? That's my perspective. And we have like, um, we have a great, and I've seen it in my family's case. We came here with nothing. We built wealth by owning great assets long-term. Um, so that's, that's my philosophy. My investors are aligned with it. And the really powerful thing is 
It changes the way we operate and it makes us better operators that do better by our residents. Right? It aligns our interests with our residents. We're going to own this thing for 50 years. You better believe we're going to pave the roads and improve the community, make it a great place to live. So interesting. It's fascinating. It's so different than most syndicators models. And just to sum it up for people that are maybe beginner investors are not sure what the difference is in that model versus most, but basically what you're doing is buying something, increasing the value of it by doing repairs from there, it's worth more than you bought it. And to tap into the equity or the cash in that property, like you said, you can either buy or sell. What most syndicators do is they're almost like long-term flippers of apartment buildings or whatever their asset class is. Um, a lot of people don't think about it like that, but that's typically what it is because to your point, most right. of their investors want their main investment back. They're going to cash flow all the months that they are invested in it, but they're going to get the main bulk of their cash flow back on a sale or a refinance. And the business model is a five to 10 year hold. So what you're talking about doing is being more long-term and still doing a cash out refinance, but you can do that because you've increased the value so much you can get a lot of that equity back out and you have investors that are, have a stake in the property and are open to keeping the property for a long-term investment, um, which is just a really cool, interesting thing. I mean, I, I'm definitely in that camp too. I, I would much rather, I, I don't actually know why a lot of people would flip a property instead of refinancing it. Like it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but it does seem to be the way. So I guess a little sidetrack question here, but like, is there a specific reason that well, I guess it, it seems obvious to me, but why do you think most people don't do it that way? Or what made you guys want to do it this way? Um, I think there is, we're kind of unorthodox. <laughs> we kind of try to be, you know, follow our own drummer if you haven't noticed that. And so to me, this, what we're doing is just intuitive. Um, I think most people do it the other way because that's the normal way that it's done, right? That, that's the model, so people follow it. And I think the reason that model exists is for the, it benefits the syndicator because at year five or year 10, when you sell, um, you're getting a hundred percent of the value of the asset instead of, you know, the 70% that you'd get if you do refinancing because you can, you know, you're borrowing at 70% loan to value. So for the syndicator, you know, they get a big pop at the end on the sale and then they can, you know, harvest a big, you know, that's how they earn their money. Um, and also if they don't have a lot of trust with their investors, their investors might, not want to, you know, be in a deal with them for 50 years. If the investor doesn't truly trust the syndicator, maybe they only want a five-year or 10-year hold. So I think we've been kind of unorthodox in going for this model. It's based on what we think is the best way to be a real estate investor. And we've built really strong trust-based relationships with our investors. And they, you know, they trust us to refinance and to sell as we see fit. And they're kind of prepared for the long haul. Great answer. Really cool stuff. Uh, just changing the way I'm thinking about the typical model a little bit. So really cool, really innovative. Um, we're, we're getting close on time here. So just the last two questions, okay. where can people learn more about you? Um, two ways, go to threepillarcommunities.com. And there's a little box where you can say, you know, get on my email list. You can type in your name, type in your email address, hit submit. Um, I'd love for you to do that. Get on our email list. We are, fully SEC compliant, right? No one can invest in our deals unless we have a, an existing relationship, right? We need to get to know each other. I need to understand your investment criteria. And then if you're a good fit, you know, then we can show you one of our offerings. And if you, you need to be accredited. So, um, so go ahead go to our website, threepillarcommunities.com and you can get on our mailing list that way. 
Um, you can also, the second way is send an email to info at threepillarcommunities.com. Okay, awesome. We'll link all that. Last question of the show. I always like to think about networking in the sense of try to be value add before value ask. And I'm sure you get pings from people that want to learn about uh, mobile home parks and just, just starting mm -hmm. a relationship the right way. So I like to ask this question to every guest. Is there any way that someone could reach out right now to bring you value or help you with something to start the relationship off on the right foot if they were to reach out to pick your brain or just start a relationship? Sure, 100%. Um, I, I mean, first of all, I'm happy to provide advice and help, help newbies. So don't feel like you need to bring me anything, right? I, I feel like I've been very blessed and I'm happy to pay it forward. So I'll start with that. Uh, but I guess the things that I'm looking for are deal flow and great investors who are aligned with our philosophy, who want to invest long-term. They don't necessarily need a 20% return in year one. They understand these are recession-proof assets you're gonna, that are going to kick off moderate cash flow forever. Um, and so if you have any leads on mobile home park deals, that's always of interest, especially in the Western U.S., um, or if you're an investor, if you know investors who are like long-term patient capital, we're always looking to build those relationships. Okay. Awesome. Short and sweet. Love it. Well, Daniel, I learned so much just on this 40 minutes and uh, I'm sure a lot yeah. of our listeners did. I was jotting down tons of notes. I'm serious. We might need a part two to dig into some of this stuff, but I just, the attitude. I'm happy to. I love it. Dude. Yeah. Seriously. The attitude is awesome. Like uh, really refreshing and um, just like, different than we've had for a lot of people. And just, I think your, your values and your intentions come through and uh, it's just, it's fun to be around. So uh, I really wanted to say thank you for coming on before we hop. Do you have any last word or comment for the audience um, before we jump off? If I can get on my soapbox for a second, I would say um, align your money with your values. Love it. Align your money with your values, right? And that can mean what stores you shop at, you know, when you're deciding where to buy your coffee. It can mean, you know, what stocks you invest in, or if you want to do real estate deals and build long-term wealth, think about what impact you want to create in the world and is it aligned with what you believe in. And for me, I feel extremely fortunate that I'm doing something that creates high quality, affordable housing for people who need it, while also generating long-term wealth for my investors and for myself. So good. Daniel, thank you so much again for coming on, man. Really enjoyed it. Best of luck in 2020 and beyond. And uh, just, just look forward to watching your journey. I look forward to it. Thank you so much for having me on the show. This was an amazing conversation. I love the way you, you pulled out ideas for me that I never thought of before, that I was never kind of didn't have the self-awareness. So this, this was actually a really powerful, you know, 45 minutes for me. Thank, thanks for having me on the show. Seriously, anytime. Really enjoyed it. So talk soon and all the best. Okay. Thanks a lot. Hey, you millennial millionaire. Do you want more? Then head to the Millennial Millionaires Through Real Estate Facebook group, where there are tons of step-by-step -step walkthroughs, tools, templates, and free networking to help you achieve financial freedom through real estate. And if you want Jonathan to help you personally reach your goals, then feel free to set up a one-on-one -on -one call in the link below or message him on any social media platform and apply to, well, work with Jonathan.